Society is baffling and typically in a terrifying way. There are mysteries wrapped around our existence, hugging us tightly, suffocating our understanding of what is up and what is down. When it comes to cults and the human tendency to create or join one, there is not much of a difference. In a way, our very existence depends upon the perfect precision of the universe's hand, much like we discussed in season two. Some people see this as divine, supernatural even, while others just see it as life and sometimes science. There are the few very strange individuals though who believe that they can mold the world and people to their will. They can make someone bend, break, and reinvent themselves in a completely different image the image of a new god, idol, or being. These people don't seem much phased by the world around them. Everything is to their demand. Some would even go as far as to say and sometimes believe that they are the gods they beg their followers to worship. But has that ever actually been the case? What experiences can contort someone's sense of self and worldview to make them believe in something so grandiose? And is there something else more divine, more nefarious, existing amongst our kind? Can we find traces of their influence and manipulation in what we like to call paranormal cults? Hey guys, welcome back to a brand new season, oh my god, of the Haunted Detective podcast. I'm your favorite host, Kelsey Childs, but everyone calls me the paranormal Sherlock Holmes. And I'm Pamela, your not-so-favorite co-host. Wait, what? Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still here. (laughs) I'm over here. (laughs) It's me, Pamela. Anyways, we're on to season four. And I don't know if you guys could guess from that intro, but we are going to be talking about paranormal and supernatural cults. Meaning cults with a more, I guess, dark religious undertone. But when I say religious, I don't mean like the angels are coming down to guide us. I mean like ripping the hearts out of people and mass suicide. Really fucked up shit like that. God damn. As I'd love to say it, let's open the case file for this week's episode. It wasn't typical for a woman to bend the will of man and have them do her bidding, especially in the early to mid-20th century. In 1963, a 14-year-old boy showed up at a police station in Mexico. He was screaming and obviously terrified. He told police that he saw vampires and they were living in a cave and drinking blood. Most thought that this was the psychotic babblings of a young boy desperately needing attention, but one cop went with him to the cave and both the boy and the police officer were soon to vanish. Yerba Buena couldn't even be considered a town. Among the greenery of northeast Mexico lay a deserted and isolated town that was home for some 50 residents. There was no electricity, no cell service, and most of the residents did not know how to read or write. It really was off the beaten path. To Santos and Caetano Hernandez, two brothers who were thieves and criminals, This was the perfect place to manipulate people for money and power. They successfully convinced the residents that they were prophets and the Inca gods had sent them to collect food and cash in exchange for gold that was buried up around the hills. But they did not stop there. Seeing no end to the worship they were receiving from the residents, 
they started giving them hallucinogenic drugs to fuel orgies that they had in some caves. But when some of the locals started to doubt the brothers, they decided to get help from another person. To be fair, or just like to be honest, this is already starting off real fucking bad. (laughs) Yeah, we're already starting off at a pretty fucked up foot. We aren't even to the meat of the story yet, so... (laughs) Fantastic. Great. Magdalena Solis was working the streets of the nearby city with her brother and pimp, Elazar, when the Hernandez brothers found her. She was 18 years old and loved the idea of being presented as fuel for their manipulation. They brought her back to Yerba Buena and had the residents gather around. Suddenly, there was a flash of thick smoke that once dispersed revealed Magdalena. To the people, she had appeared out of nowhere. So they kind of like did a magic trick, essentially. Yeah, and because they already had these people one on hallucinogenics and so far under their spell, it was pretty efficient, man. They made her out to be this like magical being. Almost, yeah. Like a a godlike, mysterious, powerful, all the synonyms. Yeah. Well, she was introduced as the reborn Quatlique, an Aztec goddess, and her brother as the high priest overseeing her mortal venture. We'll get more into this later, but Kualike is the goddess that embodies both creation and destruction. Not only is she in charge of death, life, and fertility, but she helps souls pass through a process of, I guess you could say, rebirth. So when presented with her, the residents were like, oh my God, this is terrifying. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't realize. So she represented a lot of fear. Yeah. Magdalena was not just in it for money and power. She started believing that she was actually Kualike and soon developed a hunger for blood. The villagers very quickly became her sex slaves. They were sent on fire and tortured and atrocious things were done to them if they didn't obey her commands, mostly for orgies. What the fuck? Yep. (laughs) Oh my fucking God. That is horrendous. We're not even at the meat of the story yet, Pamela. I. Oh my God. Okay. Damn. It wasn't long before the bloodletting rituals began. Bloodletting was actually a medical practice for thousands of years where blood would be withdrawn from someone. It was believed that by cutting a vein or artery and removing contaminated fluids, the affected person could heal from medical ailments or paranormal ailments. But when it came to Magdalena, bloodletting became something much more nefarious. Oh? She would drain their blood into a goblet, mix it with drugs, and drink it to become immortal. I'm going to issue a content warning. Listener discretion advised. Yeah, I'm already sick. Nothing fazed her, and everyone was seen as usable or expendable, even children who she would rape as well. There were ancestral relationships for some people and disturbing fetishized practices that they had to partake in to stay alive, like having orgies while covered in blood. Oh my God. I know, this is, it's a lot. I'm going to be sick. I might throw up. But that's not even the worst of it. Oh my God. She would perform sacrifices and cut people's hearts out while they were still alive, the organs still beating in her hands after extraction. What the fuck kind of midsummer shit is this? I know. It seems as though she got sexual gratification from mutilating people's bodies. 
After six weeks, though, her reign of terror was finally discovered by 15-year-old Sebastian Guerrero, who heard screams coming from the caves. So she was a sadist, or at least some, because a sadist means that you have a sexual arousal from causing pain. Yeah, I I would say that that's an understatement. (laughs) Oh, no, 100%. But I'm saying that she was definitely a type of sadist. She was definitely something, that's for sure. Yeah, she was something fucking else. That's Jesus Christ. When he went to investigate, he saw dozens of people participating in an orgy covered in blood and drinking it as well. While the orgy was happening, Magdalena was in the process of cutting a beating heart out of another cult member. Understandably, he thought they were vampires. I just want to take a second to remind the listeners that this is real. Yes. Because in my head, I'm not even going to lie to you. This does not sound real to me. Like this is so like fucking heinous and like gross. This sounds just like fucking made up, but it's not. Yeah. And that is so fucking disgusting. So like, I just want to remind everybody, this is not a movie. This is not Midsommar. This is unfortunately very true and I am going to be sick. Yep, I'm sorry. You're going to have nightmares tonight and I apologize to everyone listening. It's fine. I got sleepy time tea. He ran 15 miles to Villagran where he told his story. Luis Martinez went back with him and, well, you know what happens next. Two days later, the police and Mexican army went to find them. Unfortunately, they had been brutally killed by the cult. A shootout ensued and both of the Hernandez brothers were killed, but Magdalena and her brother were caught and sentenced to, here's the doozy, 50 years in prison. 50? 50. Five, zero. That's it? That is it. They did all of that fucking heinous shit and they got 50 years. Well. There are some people in America serving life for smoking weed. Yeah, that's, uh, that punishment does not fit the crime. Some of the cult members received up to 30 years for their participation as well. It's crazy to me how someone can go from an accomplice to the leader, immersed in a full delusion. I started with this case because this is about as bad as it can get. Give one person the perceived power of a god who has been nothing but a slave to the streets with no control over their own life and see how quickly that rabbit hole deepens. Power, giving someone like just power over any number group of people, people can go fucking nuts. Oh, yeah. With just a little tiny bit of power. What's interesting to me is the interchangeable use of Inca and Aztec mythology throughout the six weeks of this cult's existence. Those are two completely different practices and cultures. So, yeah. It's not like, I guess, comparably, the Romans and the Greeks, two different cultures sharing similar mythology, but... I wouldn't even say it's close to that. No, I, yeah, I agree. I don't think it's close at all. So we have a few main themes here. Gods and goddesses, divine purpose, human sacrifice, bloodletting, and and hallucinogens. A lot, if not most of these, go hand in hand with a large portion of supernatural cults, many of whom worship obscure deities or beings to gain the upper hand in the afterlife or, I guess, the ticket to some sort of paradise. For the victims of Magdalena's cult, all they wanted was blessed Incan gold, which makes sense for such a small and impoverished community. That would mean more food, resource, and access to education. This case is pretty cut and dry. Manipulation led way to delusion, which turned into a horrific nightmare. 
but it still is important to investigate some of these practices. Yeah. I mean, it really is so sad to know that she used these people just needing their basic necessities as a weapon. Yeah. Like she knew that they needed just shit to live and just used it against them. So, I mean, like while we dive into cults, like I feel like we're going to see this common theme as a lot of people just look for others' weaknesses to use them to get them to do what they want. Well, to be honest, yeah, it's what the broken wing syndrome is that Mm -hmm. they're more susceptible. It's, you know, I, I mean, I, I know I always make jokes about my dating life, but it's why I keep getting <laughs> such shitty men into my life. Shout out to that guy. But literally, I keep getting such shitty men in my life because of my freaking broken wingness, I guess you could say. Freaking broken wingness. So the fact that scares me is the way that this knowledge has traveled. For thousands of years, human sacrifice was considered a normal part of society. This included the extraction of beating hearts, just like we talked about. A lot yeah. of these a lot of these cultures were independently coming to the conclusion that the way to gain the favor of their god or gods was to kill another person in their name or honor. From the people in Mongolia to the Romans and even Europeans, there were very few religions that did not require this at some point. The case of Magdalena Solas was so startling for some because the legality of human sacrifice in Mexico was ended around the 1520s, which still is fairly frequent that it was legal to sacrifice your neighbors. Yeah, I don't like the fact that it was legal. Me neither. I feel like that should have been a morale thing. Like, hey, don't fucking kill your neighbor for sacrificial reasons. Even for your gods. Even even for your gods, it's kind of... It's not cool. It's really fucked up. So the thing that gets me is that we now have a 400-year difference where either these stories of human sacrifice were passed down through families or popular books, films, or art, but I hesitate to go with the last one. Where exactly did this come from and what is the origin of this grisly practice? How did it become such a thing that Magdalena was doing it in her cult? Or is it something that, you know, the the drugs and the power, it just made her think, wow, what if I just cut someone's heart out, you know? Yeah. Or was there another influence? Whispering in her ear, perhaps. Hmm? Teaching her these things. What? It's okay, you're a skeptic. Just ignore me. No, I can't. And that's why I'm here. People never just decide to kill other people. You know, unless you're a sociopath in today's day and age, but that's different. There's always an explanation for that. But an entire culture, an entire society, multiple societies at that being like, oh, we must sacrifice other people to our gods in order to gain their favor. Maybe because it's seen as the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice would be yourself, though, would it not be? Yeah, I think the ultimate sacrifice would be your own sacrifice of your own life. But I wonder if it's like, I'm not sure how that would work if it if it's somebody else. Okay, I'm going to preface this by saying I don't believe this theory. But you know how people are like, oh... Aliens came down and built the pyramids, you know? Mm-hmm. They, they, they believe in some like extraterrestrial or divine force or power, basically whispering in these people's ears and being like, do this, do that, do this. Mm, yeah, that's a little, a little ridiculous. It's That's ridiculous. I get that. 
But if we're going off the concept, I believe in ghosts, I believe in everything. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that this practice was learned through something not so human? Like a demon entity? Like a divine source, a... I, I hate to say alien because I don't believe in aliens, but what, wherever your heart wishes to take you, listener, <laughs> is it possible? Before we continue on with this season, that's my question. How are we learning these things and how are we subjecting ourselves to do these heinous acts as societies, cultures, religions? Where, who thought it up the first time? Because I know some man didn't just stand up and be like, we have to kill Charles, cut his heart out, feed it to the gods, you know? So essentially, where did this idea come from and why do we continue to justify it? Yeah, why do we continue to worship? Why do we continue not just worship, but, you know... We let it happen. Well, it's the same concept with folklore we talked about last season, right? Mm -hmm. Is we all have these stories, we all have these practices. Like there's a vampire in every culture... There's a Yeti in every culture. There's a werewolf in every culture. And some of these cultures, they didn't even know each other existed. But yet they shared similar tales. Yes. And now there's human sacrifice in almost every culture. Hmm. The Mongols didn't know the Romans existed at one point or another, yet they were both practicing the same thing. I mean, eventually they did, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, these practices are so ancient. I mean, who said, let's cut out a heart? I guess I could see this as like a huge power trip for someone somewhere. Like, obviously someone, I I agree with you in the question of like, where did this come from? Like, how did we get here essentially? Yeah. But I wonder if it was like just the hunger for power for just full control. Well, the thing that gets me is that a lot of these societies, and we're going to get into it in a moment, a lot of these societies really didn't know that the heart was the lifeline of the body, you know? Right. How would they have known that with their level of technology, medical advancements, etc.? How would they know that the heart was the lifeline of the body? So where are we getting, how are we getting to the point where all of these cultures are bloodletting, taking hearts out, you know, doing this like ritualistic human sacrifice? I wonder. Has she posed an interesting question? Stay tuned till next time. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, as I mentioned before, it starts with an innate belief that our actions can affect the God's view of us. This doesn't even necessarily have to mean that bad actions lead to bad things. Even the lack of acknowledgement of certain gods or divine beings or the wrong acknowledgement could lead to disasters like famine, floods, plagues, and any kind of catastrophic storm, I guess. But calling to a deity could also bring about the end of hardships for some cultures. Like, here's this person. I killed them. I ripped their heart out. Please end the sickness, killing all of the children and elders. It's fucked, you know? It's Here's one life for another, essentially. Yeah. Although most people think about ancient Mesoamerica when the discussion of human sacrifice is brought up. They're not entirely wrong, but like I said, they're not the only cultures, but I would say that they're the most prominent cultures. More notably, when the Aztecs were making the Great Pyramid of Tenochtitlan holy again in 1487, they sacrificed around 80,000 people over the span of four consecutive days. But how and why did the Aztecs become so pious? 80,000 people in four days? Yeah. 
Holy shit. That number is largely disputed. Yeah. But the majority of the academic community with, I guess, expertise in the Aztecs believe that it was 80,000 or more. Oh, my God. In 1428, there were political tensions, and because of this, the belief in the Aztec pantheon shifted. The god of the sun and war, Huitzilopochtli, was suddenly the ruler of all other deities. The belief around him was that it was the people's job to provide him with human hearts as sustenance. Because the Aztecs were people of the sun, they believed strongly that they needed to take fresh hearts from people who were opposing this belief or not of the sun. Remember I mentioned ethnocentrism? Mm-hmm. The Aztecs were a very ethnocentric group of people. They felt as though they were superior. Because of this, they would violently descend upon their neighbors who held different ethnic practices. Wow. That is terrifying, to say the least. Mainly the Tlaxcala people. QZ.com quoted a 2011 article from Tim Stanley as such, quote, The Aztecs were a culture obsessed with death. They believed that human sacrifice was the highest form of karmic healing, end quote. Wow. 80,000 people. That number just doesn't even, like, register to me. I know. It's, like, short-circuiting my brain. I'm trying to picture it. And I, what I believe happened was they would cut their hearts out and then throw them off the pyramid. So you just had like a pile of bodies. Oh my God. That is like... Not very... That's not even a scene in like my nightmares. Like that's just like unimaginable. That's unfathomable. Imagine the smell. Yeah. Like just in the sun and also like the the... Not only the smell of it, but like the like fear of like hearing those people, like hearing those screams and you're just like, what the fuck? Like that's wow. Just wow. The last place that you would expect human sacrifice to occur was in a culture that stood 3000 years ago where Lebanon is today. They were one of the most technologically advanced societies of their time and just in general when it comes to ancient civilizations. But Who would expect a society that could match that of the Romans would be sacrificing people, specifically children? What? Oh, you heard me right. This is is the episode where we can just make a shirt and it just says, what? Quote Pamela. No, for real. This is like, this is a heavy episode (laughs) of like sitting here like, oh my fucking God, like my jaw is just permanently on the ground for this entire episode can you do us a favor can you take a video of you right now and just like record your facial expressions for us (laughs) my phone's at three percent i will do my i'll do a little bit of it while some experts believe that this might not be true the majority of historians and anthropologists have since set out to discover the truth something was discovered just outside of aco beneath the water What was thought to be a shipwreck was quickly found out to be something much more disturbing. There were 400 small idols dedicated to the Phoenician goddess Tanit, who was thought to oversee fertility. Most of the figures showed a pregnant woman with her hand raised. Experts soon realized that they were made in place of children who were previously getting sacrificed. Why kids? 
Uh, I know. Like, was it because that they were the considered like the easiest to do this to because of their like size and like strength level? No, it had nothing to do with that and everything to do with their religious belief that Tanit, the Phoenician goddess, because she oversaw fertility, she required a sacrifice of a child. That is so, f- oh my God. I'm, I just, just what? Bodies of children found showed that they would bury their young with the bodies of sacrificed animals after a bloodletting ceremony where they would cut open the throat of the child. Oh my God. There are so many other examples that I could, oh, throw that I could put into this episode, but I'm simply not going to do it. I, like I said, Mongolia, Rome. It's a lot. But these were the two most disturbing. This is as far as I was willing to go and research. Oh my God. I'm just like, I'm waiting for you to be like, by the way, this is all like fake. None of this happened. This is all from a book. (laughs) It's from the history book, bitch. (laughs) Fucking history books. God. Oh God. I just, I hate. I hate the fact that humans were just like, I mean, they still are, but like we just have a constant thing of just being the fucking worst. I mean, the good news is the ozone layer, it's it's healing itself. So we have more centuries to be the fucking worst. (laughs) We're going to change topics because I don't want you to throw up on your microphone. (laughs) That's fair. From the depths of Lake Titicaca emerged an all-knowing god. Viracocha then created the universe as we know it, the earth, stars, sky, and the first people. These humans were giant people made out of stone. But Viracocha didn't like his first creation, so he flooded the earth and destroyed them in order to pave the way for his newest specimens. Not much different from the first, they were much smaller, but they were also made out of stone. Wait, you said he flooded the earth? Well, isn't that like similar to what is in the Christian religion that there was a huge flood? I would like to, before we continue, just say the internet is void of Inca and Mayan and Aztec mythology. There's like nothing, nothing, nothing. Which is so weird because you think if like it's if it's a topic, like there's got to be something on it. Then once the more powerful gods were established of the sun god Inti came his sons, Manco Kapak and Mama Oklo, Inti gave them a golden staff and told them to find where it would sink into the ground. This is where they would develop a nation. In Cusco Valley, they found their magic sign and created the Inca Empire. This led to a mythological association with their empire and as there were many interventions from above trying to prevent them from doing so. So we're beginning to see and understand that these Mesoamerica people, they believe that they were of a divine source. You know, a lot of cultures and a lot of religions, they see themselves as a product of the divine source, right? A product, uh, something to earn favor, to worship, to get on their knees and say, thank you, God. Mm -hmm. But in Mesoamerica, it's seemingly very different. You know, they were part of the divine source. They were an extension of it as opposed to a creation of it, I guess. Yeah. But there were much stranger myths associated with the Incas, as you could guess, (laughs) that showed why they were so adamant on appeasing their gods. The Supe were the gods of the underworld and death. 
They were envious of the Earth's beauty and the fact that they couldn't own or encapsulate it in their own realm. So together, they devised a plan to steal the sun and bring it to the underworld so that they could relish in its light and warmth. But the myth itself speaks of the natural order of the Earth and how it should not be disrupted. To the Incas, death was a part of that order, so sacrificing their own in order to maintain balance and gain favor from their gods makes sense. So they did it essentially because of the afterlife. You know, I can't say yes or no on that. Um, Yeah, I mean, without a duality, there is no good. The sun can be stolen away to their version of hell at any moment by nefarious scheming gods. So without balance, there's darkness. Yeah, that's just, that's really interesting. That's my piece on human sacrifice and Mesoamerican culture in relation to it. But... What I find interesting and, well, disturbing is the fact that Magdalena Solas believed that drinking the blood of her patrons would grant her immortality. Yeah. Which that isn't the first time I've heard that. No, it's not. Especially digging around in in dark history. There's, weirdly enough, a lot of the whole, like, lathering myself in blood to be younger or drinking blood to be immortal. Like, I mean, that's been around since I feel like forever. Yeah. I mean, in Magdalena's case, it was a different and much more disturbing take on historical examples of bloodletting. But yes, yeah. It doesn't mean that she was the first one to do it. And my question still stands. Who said, I'm going to drink blood. It's going to make me young. (laughs) Like, who was the first person to be like, oh, blood, yummy, delicious? Yeah, like who started with the idea that consuming blood equaled immortality or youth? I mean, we can see throughout history that there's an aversion to cannibalism among our kind, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there are ancient examples of cannibalism, whether out of disturbing impulses or necessity. It doesn't really matter. We've always had an aversion to that. So where did this come from? But as I mentioned before, bloodletting dates as far back as the Egyptians who practiced it out of medical necessity. Same with medieval doctors. But the idea of immortality and blood, I don't know. I feel like sometimes within the same realm, the differentiation of cult leaders and serial killers is a fine line. Yeah. One could argue that Magdalena was the latter. I mean, she was uh, she was a pretty evil lady. Yeah. And so was Elizabeth Bathory, who held similar... The blood countess. Oh, yep. And she held similar beliefs and definitely was a serial killer. You know, I've heard people say that she wasn't. Really? Yeah, there's there's a whole uh, theory that the people who said that she did what she did were actually coerced into doing so. But that is a that is a theory. Like I just I've dug deep into that one. To be honest, though, every single topic we've brought up today, whether proven, like the Phoenicians sacrificing children, it has literally been proven by skeletons that they have found of children in mass graves or just in graves in general. Oh my God. And people are still going to be like, that's propaganda. Oh my God, that's ridiculous. You're trying to discredit our ancient civilizations. So there's always going to be someone 
that says no. Yeah. I'm going to be the adversary this time. So if, for instance, Elizabeth did do all those things that they claim that she did, which I'm sure we're going to get into that, so I'm not going to talk about it. But if, for instance, she did, I am not going to stand there and be like, no, Kelsey, (laughs) I believe in my theory that she didn't do it. No, I'm going to be like, oh, well, that's crazy. Because like, there's just so many, there's, it's interesting to look at all the sides and then just kind of take those sides and then look at the facts and be like, okay, well, A, B equaled C. So here we are, guys. Like, <laughs> There's one thing that we cannot dispute and it's that girls were disappearing from Cheje Castle in Hungary. And I am so sorry if I butchered that name, but we're going to move on. It was the beginning of the 17th century when rumors began to run rampant that something evil was going on in the village of Trenshin, an area we know today as Slovakia. Elizabeth Bathory was born and heir to a powerful and rich family, although right from the get-go, something was amiss. Her parents, as theorized by many historians, were first cousins, possibly due to the extensive inbreeding even before her parents, Elizabeth suffered from epilepsy and would have violent seizures on a regular basis. Even so, she was never normal. One story tells of her laughing as she watched a thief receive a horrific punishment. He was sewn to the body of a horse. In other tales, she was exposed to her family's servants being beaten on a regular basis. Because of this, she was never really opposed to violence. Quite the opposite. She quite liked it. When she was 14, she married a 15-year-old boy, Ferenc Nadoski, and this is where things take a turn. As it is told, she had an affair with a peasant and secretly gave birth to an illegitimate child who she gave away. When Ferenc discovered her adultery, he had the peasant castrated and then killed by a pack of dogs. Ferenc ended up leaving home to fight the Ottomans, and Elizabeth was put in charge of their now-combined fortunes. But when they were together, he made it a point to teach her unique ways of torturing servants. One example of this was taking a piece of parchment, dousing it in oil, rolling it up, and then setting it on fire as it was shoved between the toes of one of their servants. Jesus Christ! He also apparently gave Elizabeth gloves with claws on to scratch the servants who did not behave. All these behaviors stayed outside the bounds of murder, until a supposed witch named Anna Darvoya moved into the castle. Now, Elizabeth wasn't just torturing her servants, she was killing them too. And she was taught to do this by Anna. She was still doing fucked up shit before you started killing them. Like, killing them is also fucked up, but, like, you were doing fucked up shit before Anna. So, with Anna's move into the castle, her behaviors got worse. So she would literally stab their fingers and fingernails with sewing needles. She would even just stab them straight through with these sewing needles, like a pincushion. She would bite their breaths, their shoulders, their genitals. And just really, it was atrocious. Some stories tell of her taking stinging needles, putting it on a whip and hitting the servants with it. So essentially her husband taught her how to do this stuff. And then when he went away and like she was doing it to the servants, Anna then taught her more things and then ended up killing them and then was torturing them in even more heinous ways. Um, so... Essentially. Dare I say, Elizabeth learned how to be cruel from her parents 
and from the laws at the time and what she witnessed and, you know, the enforcement of these laws because they were a noble family who oversaw the township. But her husband advanced her torture tactics and then Anna kind of pushed her over the edge from sadism to murder. Yeah. So Elizabeth kind of, she liked this stuff. Oh, she loved it. I mean, think about the story I just mentioned where this thief is literally getting sewn onto a horse, skin to skin. Not only are they hurting the thief, but they're fucking up the horse as well. And Elizabeth is over there laughing her ass off. Yeah, that's fucking disgusting. While it is disputed, it is still interesting to note that this is where minds went. Some say that she would drain the blood of virgins and bathe in it to stay youthful and immortal. Obviously, she didn't actually stay young because... She was uh, supposedly bathing in blood, but yeah, she was bathing in blood. You know, there's there was never any confirmation from her servants when they were set to testify against this. But whether or not it's true, it's interesting that, you know, this is where people's minds went. And this is what started getting talked about and what she was remembered for. And mm-hmm. there's always truth, right? There's always truth behind a statement. And I know I mentioned this again, in episode seven of last season, but, you know, fiction always comes from truth. Yeah. So, you know, she obviously wasn't becoming a vampire or immortal from bathing in this blood, but it's possible that she was actually doing it. My God, that's so gross. Whether or not it's true, it's just another example of bloodletting being used to become immortal. And, you know, (laughs) I... Anything you'd like to add? Because I know she's one of your favorite dark history figures to talk about. I don't really have like a like favorite, but she's one of the more interesting ones just because in every book I've read and every like academic article I've read of people really digging into her story and her past and the incest and and um, things that she went through. There were a lot of academic papers and even like documentaries that you can find where there is a pretty big chance that a good portion of the things said about her weren't entirely true because she was seen as like just a woman in the way. So a lot of people thought like, well, now her husband's gone, like, let's try and knock her down a peg. However, I feel like there is a lot of truth in the things that she did do, like in torture. She, I think she definitely did do that stuff. But I wonder, I I still have yet to find out exactly what is false and what is true because there are issues where there's, there's girls that did go missing um, in that time period in her town. It, no, hundreds, I mean- There were so many. And the thing with the servant girls is no one would notice. Right. They were going missing because they lived in the castle, but there were so many disappearing that they noticed. They they saw it happening. So my thing is like, so with the witch trials, right? They were looking to get women out of the way. They were looking mob mentality, but the most they could come up with is, oh, you're a witch, you know? Yeah, so that's why I'm like, maybe what she did do was like she was murderous and she was a torturous human being and she was very evil but i wonder if her bathing in their blood like 
was the exaggeration. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is the stuff that she did do. And then like some stuff was sprinkled onto it to make her just more, even more evil. Cause like doing all that stuff to human beings and to that horse, like for fuck's sake, like that's just absolutely heinous. And so I just wonder if things were twisted and turned, um, along the way just to like fit a demonic picture. I don't know. I think there's truth behind the blood. I obviously don't believe she became immortal or stayed eternally youthful from it. But like I said, every claim comes from something. So, I mean, it's exactly that she was drinking the blood or at one point tasted it or, you know, smothered it. Oh, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, smothered it on her face. It wouldn't shock me at all. Even bathing in it wouldn't shock me. But to say she did it on a regular basis, I mean, it's possible that she did it because she believed she would stay youthful and young and beautiful forever. But I don't know. I, I just, you know... I see if this is really what she was doing with her husband, the witch, Anna. I mean, would it not be kind of like a cult at that point? Yeah, but then at that point, you're wondering who was she doing it for? Was it just for herself? That's, I mean, I think there was some aspect of doing it for herself. I mean, there there was definitely a gratification there with pain. But I would call her a serial killer. I would call her some sort of nefarious leader. But the thing is, is that mm-hmm. the connection between her and Magdalena Solis is very fascinating to me. Um, and we don't talk about these offshoots enough. And, you know, yeah. cult leaders, they always become somewhat infamous, whether they inspire other atrocious acts or they are a lesson on who not to trust. One thing is for certain. There are patterns and beliefs that fall into line with the paranormal in a lot of cults and occult-like practices. Whether the worship of a god or the use of blood to become immortal, Magdalena's cult wasn't the only one to practice heinous things. But where does this idea of a cult of extreme worship come from? Can it be traced back to ancient civilizations or does it still exist among us today? I think that this is something that does still exist today. Uh, The reason why I say that is because we have recent examples. Um, I mean, just look at the 70s when Satanic Panic happened. Um, Look at the 1800s when um, that woman from New Orleans, uh, LaLaurie. Yeah. She was said to bathe in the blood of people that she killed in her house of horrors. And so I'm like, I mean, it's... It's unfortunately, it's being repeated, but why? Yeah. That was a heavy episode. (laughs) That was a really, really fucking heavy episode. If you're listening to this on your way to work, I hope you have a great Monday. (laughs) I hope you have a great Tuesday or Wednesday. It's a a great day. The sun's probably shining. Or not if you're in Colorado, because you never know. That's true. Or you're over here in Ohio and it's gray 24-7. Well... (laughs) we're going to close the case file for tonight. I'm going to go have nightmares. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. I'm going to go have a great night terror. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you guys so much for listening to a brand new season, our brand new season of the Haunted Detective Podcast. Woo! Don't forget to go and leave us a nice review on Spotify and iTunes. It really does help us get seen and push our episodes to the top of the list and get recognized by employees at Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. So... Follow us on Instagram, haunted.detective. 
and on TikTok, hauntit.detective.pod. There you can find me and Pamela's personal accounts. So without further ado, good night, goodbye, good luck. Don't let the bed bugs bite, Pamela. I am sorry for traumatizing you. (laughs) It's all right. Got my sleepy time tea. Godspeed. Godspeed. (laughs) Good night. We just said that in sync. Bye, guys.